We are to the part in 1 Peter where we are getting to the, the so what section of this. Where you say, okay, there's all this, this glorious truth that we've had about who God is and about salvation and how all this works. And now we get to where it's very specifically talking about, okay, so what? Why does this matter? And it's always important to look at and realize the, the so what of it. Because there can be fascinating things that are information that you can know that don't always necessarily have a so what to them. Uh, for example, did you know that the guy who invented the Pringles can, okay, is actually buried in a Pringles can? His name was Frederick Bauer, and in 1966, uh, when he died, he was very proud of his invention and of, of Pringles, and he had communicated his wishes to his children. So as they came back from the funeral, uh, they stopped at a Walgreens uh, to buy a tube of Pringles uh, to put his ashes in. And I guess they, the children had to have a discussion of the question then, what flavor? And they decided it's, it's got to be original. So now you know, uh, the guy who uh, invented Pringles is buried in a Pringles can. It probably doesn't change your life, though. You're probably either going to eat Pringles or you're not going to eat Pringles. There's really not a so what to that. But when we look at Scripture, there's always a so what to it. Scripture always has a so what. And the normal pattern of Scripture, we see it again and again in these letters of Scripture. It'll start with this doctrinal truth, and it'll lay things out about this is what God is like, this is what salvation is like. And at some point, it'll hit, and it'll say, therefore, and it'll start giving you specific applications. This is the so what. This is how this ought to change how you live. There's doctrinal truth, and it leads to life application. So knowing that you are born again to a living hope ought to change us. So let us read together. We're going to do 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13 and go all the way to verse 21 today. Verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I want to talk about how having this hope in Christ changes how we think, changes how we live. So we're going to talk about the change in, in thinking first. And so looking just at the very first verse, in uh, verse 13, 
the first point we're going to draw from this message is that we need to think differently. It's part of the so what of all of this. We need to think differently. Engage your mind to hope in Christ. That is what we are being told, we are being communicated to do, to change, uh, to engage, to activate, to use our minds to hope in Christ. It says in this section here, uh, therefore preparing your minds for action. I want to tell you, in uh, the, these, the beginning part of this verse, uh, literally, in the ESV here and some other translations, it translates it as preparing your uh, minds for action. Literally, uh, what it says is, gird up the loins of your mind. And if you have a King James or a New King James, uh, it basically says that, gird up the loins of your mind, or literally be in this would be girding up the loins of your mind. Well, if that, I'm sure that clears up the meaning for you. Uh, like gird up? Well, what, do you, what is even girding up? And say the, 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 okay, the loins of your mind. And what does this mean? You know, I actually, I think this is, uh, as this is starting this passage, I think this is really important. And I want you to understand this. And I want this to, uh, to, to understand and to stick with you. Um, so I want to show you this. Uh, first of all, you have to realize in Bible times, uh, people did not wear uh, sports jackets, okay? And they didn't, when they went out to work, they didn't wear flannel shirts, and they didn't wear, uh, you know, blue jeans, okay? So people, when they were uh, out and about, they wore, they wore robes. And like I said, I'm going to try to uh, demonstrate this uh, to you. We'll see how this goes. And <clears throat> they would wear uh, robes, so let's see if we get the right side here. All right. I think this is the this is the front. Gonna snap in the back. All right. Let's see how this goes. So we got this robe on, and if you were in biblical times, this would uh, make a lot of sense to wear a robe around. Okay. Bet you didn't uh, expect to come and see this this morning. All right. So, you know, you're out in a hot climate, and, you know, it would, you'd, be, you'd be covered, you'd be modest, but it would give a lot of, you know, good airflow and all this. There'd be a lot of benefits to this. You know, but if there were certain things you needed to, uh, you know, do a bunch of work, you know, sometimes these could kind of get in the way. It wouldn't be real great if you're trying to, you know, run in this and get all tangled up, especially if it could be a lot longer and, and floppier. You're trying to, uh, you go into fight or you get into battle or something. It's just, it just doesn't kind of work for that. And so, what they would do is, and you'd also kind of have a belt with this, and we'll need this for this next part, is uh, when it said here, to gird up the loins of your mind. I'll try to demonstrate this a little bit here. Um, first of all, tie my shoe. I'd be wearing a sandal if this was uh, legit, but uh, you can be thankful it's not, actually. Okay. <laughs> So what they would do is, if there was um, time to do that, they would kind of uh, bring up the bottom part here, okay? And they would kind of tuck it into the belt, okay? And this was kind of girding up, you know, the, the, the loins, okay? So now it's converted. Now I got shorts on, 
Okay, so now I'm up there and I need to, you know, work in the field or something. I'm not getting mud all over my robe. You know, if I need to go into battle, you know, I can do the battle stance or whatever I need to do because uh, I have this. Now, actually, I looked into uh, how you would actually do this, like, legitimately. And there, I guess, were different techniques. Uh, but you're really supposed to, like, uh, bring it all up and then take the material and then <laughs> go under your legs and then come around and then, and then tie it. And I... Uh, decided not to do that. I, I did try it. It doesn't work with this. Not enough material. And uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want to see it. And it, it. Even if I did get it to work, it really basically looks like you're wearing a diaper. Okay? Because uh, you got it all wrapped around your, your, your midsection here. Uh, but that's what it means to kind of gird up the, the loins of your mind. Now, if you were, this looks silly, but if you were living in the first uh, century in, or in biblical times, uh, this would be a common sight, you know, to see a guy with, um, you know, this, uh, his robe kind of hoisted up and kind of wrapped around himself, because this meant, if you saw this, that this guy is either, he's going out to work, and he's going to be doing some effort, uh, or maybe he's getting ready for battle. He's not just going to spend the day kind of leisurely walking around town or taking it easy or sitting in his palace or whatever it is. You knew this meant that this person was prepared for action. And so this is what it means to, to gird up the loins of your mind. And I, I wanted to just demonstrate this with you, for you, because I wanted this to hopefully uh, stick in your mind. And uh, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, Pastor, this is an unforgettable message. In fact, I really like to forget this. Um, I like to, you know, if somebody had one of those, you know, uh, men in black, uh, you know, or Incredibles little pens where you look at the light and have your memory erased, yeah, I'd use that on me right now. Um, thing is, you can't use those real often or else it's, it's bad for your, for your mind. So, and we just did that last week. So, all right. <clears throat> now is the part I'm not looking forward to. We're going to see if I can get this off. All right, let's see how this goes. Here we go. So girding up the loins of your mind and how this works. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> You'll remember that a little bit uh, better than kind of maybe you would otherwise. So it talks about um, this phrase, to prepare your minds for action. This is what it's talking about. There's a uh, older uh, preacher from the 50s and 60s. I listened to some of his messages online. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He has this gravelly voice. He's from England. He talks about, gird up the loins of your mind. And I just love it. It sticks with me. And he says, you got to think, my friends. And the whole point he draws from this is, as Christians, we need to be able to, to prepare our minds for, for action, for living in this world and engaging our minds. And too often it comes across or Christians think that you, know, you come to church or you live your Christian life and you're, just, you're, you're checking your mind at the door, you're not thinking. And instead what Scripture tells us is we need to be using our minds. We need to be, to be engaging our minds. God wants believers to have minds that are active, not passive. Okay? If you, are, you don't have your, your mind girded up, so to speak, it means that you're not prepared for action. You're prepared to just be passive. And let's face it, most people, 
not even just Christians, most Americans have very passive minds. We just kind of take what comes to us, and we kind of, oh, okay, believe what I see, you know, that's what the news says, or that's what it said on, you know, I saw it on social media from all my friends or from the news sources, and whatever news sources those might be on one side or the other. Is your mind in gear? Or do we have our minds in idol? And again, society wants us to just have our minds in idol. I love it when we're supposed to have active minds. I'm thinking of uh, somebody from our congregation that uh, very often after church, you know, will, will meet me in the large foyer and say, Pastor, uh, I got a question for you. I got something I'm thinking about. And he's like, three weeks ago you said this, and I've, just been, I've been thinking about this. And I love it. I can tell that it's not just a, the messages that we're teaching uh, and the scripture passages that we're giving out that it's just, okay, entertain me for a little bit, amuse me, and then I'm going to go on to something else. You know, God wants us to be wrapping our minds around Scripture, engaging Scripture, thinking about this, preparing our life for, for what we think, uh, examining the truth in the world around us. The, everything that's pre- presented to us, is this true? Is it being twisted? Is it, is it right or is it, is it a lie? If your mind is not ready for action, it means it's going to be, it's going to be passive. We need to learn to think logically, critically, all these different things. Not to have our minds on easy mode. Think of all the things that this world has for us to, to not think. You ever realize the word amusement? We think of uh, it's great to have these amusements, and whether it's Netflix or whatever, and there can be a time for that. But the word amusement, literally, okay, muse means to think. And A, when you put it in the front of something like atheist, A means not or no. Amusement means you're, you're not thinking. And yeah, there might be a little bit of time sometimes where it's nice to just kind of unplug a little bit, but so much we're unplugged and it never got plugged back in. God wants our minds prepared for action. And in this passage too, one example of this, your mind is not ready for action if it's not sober. It says preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded. And there are different ways that we can have our minds not sober-minded. So many are using, um, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, marijuana, different things to, to try and cope with the pressures and the hardships of life and just kind of numb the pain and to numb all the things that are going on. That's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to have minds that are, that are alert, that are sober, that are, that are thinking, that are engaged. It's not enough to just avoid being, being high or drunk. We need to be clear thinking. And... God wants us to do this for a specific purpose. The ultimate purpose is not so that you can be uh, Mr. Smarty Pants or be able to know all about nuclear physics or some of these uh, things. In this passage, look, it, it's saying preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, and then the actual command of this passage comes next, to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is the, the purpose for this, is for setting your hope on Jesus Christ. And it requires effort to focus your hope on Christ because there are going to be all kinds of things that are going to try and get your focus all kinds of other places. And believing things that are not true, that are getting your thinking all, all, all messed up, We need to have our minds engaged and prepared for action so we can reject lies and we can keep believing the truth. So as you're living through your time of exile, you're living through the hardships of life, 
that your mind is focused on remembering what you know is true, remembering that you've been born again to a living hope, remembering the salvation that God has had for you, and also that there is, your salvation is not even complete. This is not as good as it gets. There is the completion of your salvation that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that Christ is coming back. There will be ultimate justice that he brings to this world. There will be resurrection from the dead. There will be a day when your sin is, is completely purged from you. All of these different things. There will be a day when all of your sufferings are gone, when God will wipe away every tear from your eye. You need to use your mind and think and focus to set your mind, to train your mind, to focus on these things. And that takes work. And if you just let your mind go like it's being blown wherever your thoughts have it, uh, instead of taking control of your thinking, you're going to be at the mercy of your circumstances and the people and everyone around you. Set your hope fully on Christ. This theme of hope, I think, is key to this. If When we read this, notice this idea of hope kind of bookends this whole passage. In verse 13, it had said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in, in your Bibles, if you look down to verse 21, and when you get to the end, it says, who through him, through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And then it ends by saying, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the, the command of this section. The reason that we're to engage our minds is so that you can hope in God and hope in Jesus Christ. Learn to remind yourself. Learn to preach to yourself. Okay, you may hear me uh, once a week or, or sometimes maybe more. You are hearing yourself all the time. If you learn to talk to yourself, you learn to tell yourself to, to remember, to believe the truth that you have learned from God's word. And this future grace, especially, especially important to exiles going through the persecutions and the hardship of this life. So this would cause us to think differently, and it's also meant to cause us to, to live differently. It should change our action. It should change our, our conduct. So the second point, live differently. Conduct your life to be holy like Christ. And I think this is the core of the rest of these verses, 14 through 21. So we've read them. I want to walk through these and draw out a few things as far as, well, why should we do this? Why should we, should we live differently? And this passage is going to give us some of those reasons. And so preparing our minds for action, we want to be thinking about these reasons because God gives us reasons why we should be living different, why we should have a different conduct than everyone that is around us. So one of the first things that we see in this passage and is that it comes from verse 14 and 17 is uh, you should live this new type of life because you have a new relationship. Notice in verse 14, it says, as obedient children. Okay? So now maybe you focus on, oh, obedient children. Oh, I don't want to be an obedient child. Uh, but the thing how great this is, this is God saying this, this is who you are. And part of this is that you are now children. You are children of God. Because in verse 17 it says, if you call on him as father, you have this relationship. You have been adopted 
into God's family. Okay, and what a beautiful, awesome thing that is. And that now he is uh, your, your father, he your ultimate father. I don't know how your earthly father was, if he was great or if he was the exact opposite of that, but you have a great heavenly father now, and you are adopted and you are his child. And we want to be ones that are living in, in obedience to him. We have this new relationship. Notice in verse 14, it also says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This seems to indicate, verse 14 and also verse 18 later on, that perhaps the audience of this uh, was um, not necessarily Jews, but, and scholars debate this, uh, but was Gentiles, and they were coming out of a pagan background. And Peter here is, is reminding them and telling them, think about how you used to live. You used to live in, in, in all this sin and going after all these empty things. And for many of us, too, you can think back to your days before Christ and how the things that you were seeking after, the things that you thought were going to bring you happiness and make you, uh, you're, you're scrambling to try and have some fulfillment in life, how these things were so f- futile. They didn't work. They always left you more and more, more empty. But you didn't know any better. This is, it was your former ignorance. But now instead of ignorance, you have been exposed to the truth that God has given us through Scripture. And now instead of being conformed to the, the, the pattern of this world and just being driven by our passions and our, our desires and just without thinking just what we want to do, uh, the passions of our flesh, uh, we're supposed to have be conformed differently. Everyone, we're going to be conformed to one thing or another. And don't just think, well, I do my own thing. No, people are, they're conformed to the patterns of the world around them. That's what it tends to be. In your own society, in your friends or your circles. And so if you're not careful, you're not thinking about this, you know, kids, you're going to just be like every other kid at school. And adults, you're going to be like other people at work or other people that happen to be on your Facebook feed and you're just going to, things you see on TV, you're going to conform to that pattern. But we have a new pattern. Our pattern is to be like God, our Father. And Jesus Christ, the Son, who is the exact image of him, we pattern ourselves after him. Because, and this means that we're called to be holy because, also because he is holy. And it says that in Verses 15 and 16, because he who called you is, is holy. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For since it is written, this is in Leviticus and other places, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Be holy like God. He is our pattern in all your conduct. So be holy and be pure, be set apart from sin, uh, does this mean just on, on Sundays? And just when you're at church, that's when you're supposed to be holy and be like God. Be holy when it's what you want to do anyways and it seems right to you. No. Be holy uh, just on the outside, but it doesn't matter what's inside in your heart. No, be, be holy all the way through because God is holy and he is holy consistently. And we need to, that's our goal is to strive to be holy in all of our conduct the way that he is holy. And yeah, you're going to fall short. And I'm going to fall short because we are sinners. And we are, in, we are in process. God is working on us. If you're a Christian, you're being transformed from the inside out. But the end is not here. There, there's the future 
grace, the future glory, the future salvation that is yet to come. But during this time, we want to work and think to grow to become more like him. And we want to. We have this new relationship. And if you're going to be with God forever, uh, guess what? It's going to go a lot better the more that um, you have things in common, let's say. Uh, The more that you're like each other. Uh, How would heaven be if God, who is there, who is good and beautiful and true, and he loves what is good and beautiful and true, and you go to heaven and you love uh, what is evil, ugly, and lies. Okay? That's not going to be a match. That's what God wants to transform us into who he created you to be, to transform you into the the image and pattern of, of his son. So be changed, live differently because the God who called us, he called you into a relationship and he is holy. Also, verse 17, because your father is an impartial judge and is to be feared with respect. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father, well, think about that, do you? Do you call on him as father? Okay, if you answered yes, if you do, As Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay? Remember this, uh, we're talking about 1 Peter as being being elect exiles. We've been uh, called and and, and chosen. When we're in this world, although we don't really ultimately belong to it right here and now. But here it says we have him as, as our Father and we're to respect him uh, and it says, fear him, to fear him. Uh, just this weekend, uh, one of my sons was telling me a story about uh, science class, and he said their science teacher, his science teacher at school, uh, they were doing some experiment, and if I remember right, there was some kind of uh, chemical or some kind of substance, and the, the science teacher went on and said, seriously, don't eat this. Uh, as if he, uh, well, <laughs> it may say a lot that he needed to stress this to the kids. Uh, but like, yeah, don't eat this. And the teacher went on, my son said, he went on in like graphic description of what it's like to have your stomach pumped. And that if you eat any of this, you're going to have to do your stomach pump. And they put this tube down and it's just this awful thing. And all the kids were like traumatized, like, okay, we're not going to eat this. And I said, yeah, your teacher was teaching you a healthy fear of, yeah, you, you don't want to do that. And this was uh, <laughs> caring for you by teaching you not to do this. That's the type of, uh, that's kind of like the type of fear that we're supposed to have with God. Not that we're afraid of him or running away. He's our father. But there's, there's a healthy fear, a healthy respect that we, that we have for him. God is our father and he is still the judge. And it says he's an impartial judge. And just because he's father doesn't mean he's going to give us just license to do everything that you want. And there's not going to be consequences for this. Okay, my kids that uh, go to, to, to church here and they'll be here at the, the other service, you know, if, if they said, well, I love my dad, you know, he's the pastor of the church. So, you know what? Uh, just, it's okay if I walk around on pews uh, during the service. And what you going to do? My dad's the pastor. You know, th- thankfully they never do that. And they know that... Uh, I would, (laughs) they would be in so much trouble for that. I love them, and there might be kids, you know, squirming around or not paying attention in church, and actually, you kids do a pretty good job, and I thank you parents for doing that, but you know, that's that's you and your kids. I'm not going to go and ground your kids, 
But if my kids are, you know, acting up, they're going to be in trouble with me. And so same way, we have God that is our, our father, but he's also a judge in an impartial way. And because of that, he loves us, but he's not just going to let our, our sin and our disobedience slide. He's going to discipline us and give us what we, what we need. God is not a cruel father, but he's not an indulgent father either. We also see reasons for this as we go on. That verse 18 talks about the fact that we were, we were ransomed. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with per- perishable things such as silver or gold. So another reason why you should live differently is because you were ransomed. Or many other translations will say redeemed from your, the futile ways of life, your futile ways of life. Uh, most translations I looked up actually use the word redeemed. Uh, ransomed fits really well too. Uh, the word that is used uh, here is lutruol. And basically it's a Greek word that has the idea of setting free slaves or war cap- captives with the payment of a price. So you have someone that you're in slavery or you've been, you've been captured, and you could pay a price, and then they're set free. And that was meant to redeem them or to, to ransom them. And usually there was uh, a payment involved of some sort. Uh, the word was also used uh, with Israel being set free from slavery when they were in Egypt. And so Christian realized that by trusting Christ as your Savior and being forgiven of your sin, you were also set free from sin. The sin is no longer your master, okay? You are no longer in bondage to it. You don't answer to sin anymore. You have a new master. You've been, you've been set free from that type, of, that type of slavery. And it says from the emptiness of uh, the culture that used to live, from your, your futile uh, way of life inherited from your, your forefathers, things that have been passed down. And maybe it's been generation upon generation of just futility and emptiness and dysfunctional relationships and all these different things and sins. But God is giving you a fresh start. He's, he's, you, you've been broken from that. So live differently. You've been redeemed. You've been, you've been ransomed from all of this dysfunction and, and futility. And the ransom price that was paid for you, the price to redeem you, was not something that was cheap. Whatever it would cost to, to redeem a, a, a slave, uh, 30 pieces of silver, or what, this was not, uh, that was not the price. And we, we may think that silver and gold are these valuable things, but compared to what actually was paid to ransom you, it was, it was worthless. We need to live changed lives because you were ransomed at an immeasurable price. As something that was so costly. You know, thinking of what it means to be ransomed or redeemed, um, it just kind of hit me. I was, I'm reading a biography of Abraham Lincoln by Alan Guelzo, and the, it's called Abraham Lincoln, and then the subtitle is Redeemer President. And I was, I was kind of confused about that. Like, what's he going to spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you know, the the faith elements in his life, or is he trying to lift Abraham Lincoln up like oh, he's almost like the Messiah or something like that? And as I read through it, it's actually a very good biography, 
But I realized, especially doing this message, oh yeah, redeemer, a redeemer technically is one who sets the slaves free. Oh, Abraham Lincoln, he literally was the president that set the, the slaves free. That it, it makes sense. And reading this early on in the Civil War, when they were trying to think how to do this and how to proceed and how to you know, try to keep the union together and, and manage the situation, at one point, uh, there were suggestions and trying to think through, uh, would they be able to, um, to free the slaves and give a payment to the slave owners to, to compensate them uh, for their losses? And as the Civil War went on, uh, that just didn't make sense. It didn't work out. Uh, so they uh, weren't set free at a price like that. And you realize, what was the price that was really set free, that was paid for uh, the, the slaves to be set free? And with the Civil War, it was the, the blood, the lives of over 360,000 Union soldiers that, that died so that the slaves could be redeemed, set free. And Abraham Lincoln himself being, being assassinated because of this work that he did. And as valuable as their lives are, as valuable as the lives of 360,000 plus Union soldiers, that is nothing compared to the price that was paid, Christian, for, for your salvation, for you to be set free. Because, yeah, 360,000 plus uh, people, that's, that's a lot. But none of those were the eternal Son of God. And none of those were, were sinless, like Jesus is, that he is the, the sinless, the spotless one. And therefore, it goes on and says, you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or, or spot. And he was foreknown from the foundations of the, the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God. When we think of this, and you think of the price that was paid, don't make the mistake that many people make, American Christians, of taking this and using it to, to think about your greatness and your worth. And people do that. They say, well, I'm going to walk away from this, and it's going to boost my self-esteem, because look at how much was paid for me. Look how valuable I am. And <laughs> it's, it seems like it's something that's God-honoring, but isn't it weird how we take a glorious truth like this and we make it selfish and we make it all about us? And by the way, it isn't even true that the price that's paid is always equal to what the value of the thing is. You may have an antique car or maybe it was passed down from you and it's valuable uh, uh, and maybe it gets in an accident or th this car and you decide, you know what, I'm going to have this thing fixed up and maybe the price that you do pay to have it fixed up is way more than really the blue book on it, way more than what it's actually worth, but you've decided it's, it's valuable to you. The blood of Christ being shed for us isn't as much about our worth and our greatness, but it shows us the greatness of his love. It shows us the greatness of the mercy and the grace of God, that he would pay this price, this massive price, way over our blue book, okay, for us to be saved. And all of this at the end shows us that our hope is in God. We live a holy life because your hope is in the Son of God. All this is true for people that believe, that trust Jesus Christ. So it says at the end here that this is 
Uh, the youth who through him are believers in God. If you have not trusted him as your Lord and Savior, this doesn't apply to you yet, but it can, and I hope it will, as you turn to him in faith and you trust him for your forgiveness of sins, realizing that he went to the cross and rose again to save you. And all of this that happened, his, this, this plan from the, from the beginning, and all of this, uh, God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Christ is the ground, he's the basis, he's, he's the beginning and end of everything in your salvation. Your hope is not in your own holiness. You don't, hope, you, you don't have a changed life in order so that you can be holy so that you can be saved. Your hope is not in your holiness. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you don't seek holiness in order to have hope. You seek holiness because you do have that hope. You do have that living hope already, Christian. And this changes our thinking. This changes our living. Okay, so gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind for action because there is going to be things coming at you from all directions in society. There's going to be things coming at you from within that are going to want to take your, your life and your, your thinking in, your, in the wrong direction. But instead, cling to that living hope that you have. Cling to the truths that you know are true because they're in this word. And as you do that, as you set your hope fully on him, we can have changed lives that are good for us and bring him glory. Let's pray. Mighty God, our Father, who we call on, an impartial judge, Lord God, we thank you so much that you have given us a living hope, that you have given us a hope that starts now and there is more to come in the future, and that there's a day coming when you will set everything right, and that when our time of exile will be over and we will be home with you, Lord God. In the meantime, help us to live the way that we ought to, not to earn our salvation, God, but because of the salvation that you have given us. Help us to think in a way that honors you and clings to what is true and good and right. And help us to live in the right way because you are holy. And we want to pattern ourselves after you. And all of these truths, because they are true, the so what is that we want to follow you and to live changed lives, to be like you because our hope is in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.